0: How much is uh, a relationship an antidote to part of this negative self-talk?
1: It can be a disaster. A relationship can actually be a disaster if the other person isn't committed to their personal development. So maybe you're listening and you're not in a relationship or maybe you're in a relationship, the other person, as well as you, you need to make sure you're not doing a disservice to the other person. The other person has to be committed to their own personal development more than anything else. That's not a selfish thing. In fact, I think that personal development is the highest form of worship because when you make something of your life, that's the offering that you get to give back to the creator. Personal development is something you owe to yourself, if not your creator, the architect. So a relationship can be an absolute disaster if one of those people is not committed to their highest personal development.
0: How do young men like us optimize our lives in a way that lets us achieve success and meaning? Come with me as I interview top performers and delve into key areas of life. Habits, finance, psychology, health, relationships, work, creativity, and business. I boil the ocean of men's advice into usable wisdom in this podcast to give you the answers. My name is Blake Bottrell, and this is The Distilled Podcast. My guest today wants to help you change your perception of reality using only your mind. He's a husband, father of two, and a New York-born Packers fan. Figure that one out. He argues that people, people are often told what they need to do. His new book, Here's How, aims to give people the practical tips they need to improve their inner dialogue. Michael Anthony, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, great to be with you, Blake, and a big shout out to your audience, too. love your podcast, and it's a privilege to be with you today.
0: Thanks so much. Of course, Um, I want to start in a, maybe an odd place, but you, I noticed you have a couple of articles of clothing and one of them has the phonetical spelling of the word tenacious on it. And you have another one that has the word abundance written in Italian and continuing off of that, your brand is focused around the word courage. What do these words mean when we're talking through them and how can we use the wording that we put around us in our everyday lives to make those lives better?
1: Great questions. Thanks for not giving the uh, stock podcast approach to the way podcasts oftentimes uh, come along. And that's one of the reasons why I love your podcast. Three words, tenacity or tenacious. Tenacious. Abundanza is the yeah. Italian word for abundance and, uh, of course, the, uh, the theme of courage. You're talking about shirts that you seen to wear on social media. Um, the word tenacious that I have phonetically spelled out, tenacity is latching onto something, making a decision to do something or to be someone, which I think is, is something I emphasize. It's not just what you do, it's who you become. And not taking no for an answer. We often limit ourselves prematurely and we put boundaries on ourselves in terms of what we're capable of doing prematurely, psychologically, because we tend to gravitate toward the path of least resistance. We tend to pursue comfort, and it's actually the discomfort that gets us out of our comfort zone, the very thing that we need to enable to move us forward. So tenacity is huge. Uh, For me, it's what I encourage people with my mindset mentoring as well. The idea of abundanza, which is the Italian word. We, um, I'm 100% Italian ancestry, we've got two uh, boys and we're always joking around together. And we talk about appondanza again as the idea of not limiting yourself, or the way I refer to it as living a, living a no limited life. And so these shirts that we have, we all wear them in our family. They give each of us reminders and I wear them on social media as well to remind people of the human propensity to continually limit ourselves. So that's what the significance no. is of Appendanza. My son actually designed that shirt uh, for Appendanza. And courage is, uh, well, thanks. Courage is the most important of all character traits because without courage, you can't develop any of the other traits. Maya Angelou rightly observed that And uh, without courage, you can't develop any of the other character traits that are necessary for success in life. So for me, courage has been a recurring theme and I keep going back to that again and again because without it you're not going anywhere. But with it, you can go anywhere. So that's the significance of those three words in those shirts. Thanks for
0: asking. What are some of these artificial limits that you see people putting on themselves a lot? You do a lot of this work through your mentoring and through the speaking engagements publicly that you do. What are some of these limits?
1: Well, there, I, I have broken down life into seven areas. is any goal that you want to achieve, any um, accomplishment that you want to tackle in life is going to have ground zero in one of these seven areas. And this comes from years of just exploring how goal achievement is done, how um, to tackle a big task. So here are the seven areas, relationships, health and fitness, spiritual life, finances or financial goals, your rest and recreation, your career and your education. Any goal, any achievement that you want to tackle in life is going to have as ground zero, one of those seven areas. Now there's overflow of course, because we don't live compartmentalized lives, but the epicenter is going to be one of those areas. And so people, people continually, I mean, I'm tempted to do it myself. People continually limit themselves in those areas for example in relationships maybe that girl is not interested in me and she wouldn't be interested in me when i met my wife when i saw her for the very first time i was actually at a banquet with somebody else and she was with somebody else we had never met before and i looked across the room and there she was probably about 30 feet away sitting with this other guy and i literally my response was oh god Why can't, I have a girl like that. And when we were leaving the banquet, they were taking pictures and everybody's taking pictures, couples, pictures and stuff. And uh, I don't want anybody to think that I'm a, I'm a terrible person here in this regard. The gal that I was at the banquet with, it was a mutual breakup. We knew that we were breaking up. We already had tickets for this banquet. So we went, we we, um, were ending on on a friendship note, but I went back into the banquet hall to take one last look of this gal that I had seen, Janet, thinking I'd never see her again. Well, later on in the fall, I bumped into her in the library and I had to continually tell myself this, and this will help you, everybody who's listening right, everybody who's watching, this will help you in any of these seven areas of life. But for example, I told myself, I assumed that she liked me until she told me otherwise. One of the ways we limit ourselves is we assume that in this case the person doesn't like me and so we back off we don't pursue how many times have we seen a very attractive beautiful or handsome person with somebody who just doesn't match and we scratch our heads and say what's going on the reason why that mismatch occurred and yet those people are together is because the person maybe is not as handsome or as beautiful, or did not limit themselves. They believed that that person was within their reach. So you assume that the person likes you until they tell you otherwise. One of the ways we limit ourselves is by taking ourselves out of the equation. We do the same thing with our health, um, not being not as, as cardiovascularly conditioned or as muscular or carrying excess pounds, um, 20 pounds, lighter than I was last year by deliberate effort. And we're continually limiting ourselves. We do that with our finances, how much we think we're capable of making, career choices that we could make, careers that we could step into, but we limit ourselves thinking, oh, that person, that company wouldn't really be interested in me. No, you assume the best, not the worst, because the gravitation, what we gravitate toward humanly, is we limit ourselves. We take ourselves out of the equation. So you literally do the exact opposite.
0: How much of this limiting ourselves is a consequence of our world's shrinking and the ever fragmented sort of reality that we live in now where we communicate behind a phone or see everybody once every two months or something, and don't bother to get together in person?
1: Well, you know, your generation, we can talk about generations for a little bit, is the most connected and disconnected in history. We've got, you know, devices, got one right here, we're always within arm's reach, if not closer to our devices. But we actually don't develop the interpersonal skills, the relationship skills, the conversation skills. And by conversation, it's two-way street, right? It's not just talking. It's not listening to get your, your opportunity to be heard. That's not what real listening is. Real listening is hands off the wheel, letting the other person unpack what they wanna say, however they wanna say it, and not waiting for that opportunity where then you can insert your wisdom, That's not real listening. And so the the connectivity through devices and social media, which I refer to as anti-social media, because that's what it's done. It's made us very anti-social, the opposite, where great listening skills, they're a lost art. The ability to really focus, like people are more um, out of focus, multitasking is not all that it's cracked up to be. I talked about that in my first book, A Call for Courage, that single tasking is really what we should be doing. So the intentionality, whether somebody is in your generation, my generation, any generation, has to be there where you recognize if I'm gonna be a success in life, I've got to be a success in my relationships. I've got to develop great, not just good, I've got to develop great interpersonal communication skills, which is not just being heard, but also letting somebody somebody else be heard and drawing them out. Does that make sense? Like drawing the other person out, and giving them a platform that you can then applaud and celebrate.
0: What's the biggest learning you've taken from Zig Ziglar?
1: If you do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, the day will come when you can do what you want to do, when you want to do it. That is a word for word, memorized, taken to heart, quote, from the master himself. I've got an autographed photograph of him in my office. Wrote him and uh, would have previously limited myself. I wrote him, asked him for one, and he sent it to me. So that's my favorite quote of his. Do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. The day will come when you can do what you want to do, when you want to do it. Another one is, only those who risk going too far will find out how far they can really go. And by the way, his son, Tom, The heir apparent, not apparent, the heir to the Ziegler throne, uh, the spokesperson who took his place is a fantastic guy. That apple fell right next to the tree trunk. I've had several conversations with him. Great guy, great organization, and uh, great testimony to Zig's legacy.
0: Sticking with the theme of pushing yourself to the limits um, with Zig's quote there, what's the sort of biggest adversity you talk through in your life?
1: I have... Uh, a strange set of circumstances. I almost died four times. I had lymphoma, had cancer. Um, When I was a kid, about four years old, three years old, I was nearly kidnapped. There were several kidnapping attempts against me. And um, my whole family and I experienced unbelievable ostracization, ostracization if that's, if I'm saying that right, unbelievable adversity and um, shunning and slander and defamation against us simultaneously, the whole family, that was so bad from from a group of people, from an institution that I actually asked God to take my life three times. I did, and that is actually became the turning point for me where I really began to dive into mindset and really began to realize that the, the typical things that i had done told people to do because i was in pastoral ministry for nearly 20 years and i'm an author the typical things that i was told to do to change my life and that i had told other people to do to change their lives we're not cutting the mustard anymore like in, in christian circles in religious circles we tell people to pray more to read the bible and i'm all for that, and you might not be, somebody else might not be, I'll never hold that against them. All I ask is that somebody doesn't hold my beliefs against me, right? But if that's as far as we are in today's world, where we know more about how the mind works and the emotions work, the connection between thoughts, emotions and habits than at any other time in history, if that's as far as we go, then we don't really understand how the architect, as I refer to the creator, our God, how he designed us. And so I can't really say, yeah, that's a great question that you asked. You're trying to make me say, hey, what's the number one thing? And by the way, for those of you listening, I'm in a lodge right now, so you may hear some background noise here. I'm at the Grand Bohemian in Greenville, or as they say, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, So apologize for the background noise, but it's a happening place. I uh, unfortunately and fortunately have had a number of unusual circumstances that have happened in my life that uh, brought me to the brink of, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. But you know, the interesting thing is when I asked God to take my life, he actually did. He did do that and he completely replaced it because I began to realize that it was my thinking, stinking thinking always creates a rotten reality So I've had a number of circumstances that have happened to me that pushed me to the brink and, um, forced me to evaluate. I think evaluations underrated without evaluating our lives, we never change. And that's why I do mindset mentoring. That's what I write on. And, um, it's my niche, so to speak came out of all of the adversity. Most of the lessons I've learned in life, I've learned from my own struggles and my own failures.
0: Yeah, you call that evaluation stalking yourself, right?
1: Absolutely. You have to. If you don't, you're missing opportunity after opportunity.
0: How does the role of gratitude fall in fold into all of this as
1: uh, gratitude's huge and I know it's a, it's kind of a buzzword today, you know, people have gratitude journals and stuff. But <sighs> You can't just be on autopilot. The human mind is wired in such a way that you cannot focus on a negative thought and a positive thought at the same time. It's literally impossible. So that's why multitasking is overrated. Single tasking is where it's at. You get to control whether or not you're gonna focus on a good thought or a bad thought, whether you're gonna be grateful or ungrateful, whether you're gonna have gratitude or ingratitude, whether you're gonna be thankful or whether you're gonna have, uh, instead of having that tankful, you're going to be lacking and wanting so since we know and this is proven by brain scans where you can look at brain activity where the brain lights up depending on the thought process you can actually see how the brain is functioning in real time since it's not possible to focus on gratitude and ingratitude at the same time and both of those create a chemical a neurological and emotional response You get to choose which one it's gonna be, whether you're gonna be grateful or whether you're gonna be uh, ungrateful. You get to choose that. And that has everything to do with your emotions because you're listening right now. I want you to really understand and really think about this. Not only can you not think about a negative and a positive at the same time, try it right now. It's literally impossible. But your, your feelings, your emotions are the direct result of what you're thinking about. Your emotions are basically the breadcrumbs. If you are out in a forest someplace and you saw some breadcrumbs, a line of breadcrumbs, you would intuitively, instinctively follow those breadcrumbs because you know that breadcrumbs come from someplace. They come from a loaf of bread. Now, I don't know, Blake, if you're a baker or not, but if you've ever made uh, breadcrumbs, if I said to you, hey, Blake, why don't you make me a big bowl of breadcrumbs? First of all, you look at me like I was crazy. Second of all, you would know, even if you're not into baking, that it's not possible to make a bowl of breadcrumbs unless you make a loaf of bread. No emotion happens in a vacuum. Emotions are the byproduct of our thoughts. So when you change your thoughts with gratitude, for example, You're not just changing the thinking, Blake, you're also changing the emotional response. The emotions are a symptom of what you're thinking. They are a reflection of your thinking. They are a byproduct of your thinking. They're a creation of your thinking. So when you change your thinking as a man, as a woman thinks, so he or she is, you literally change your emotional state. And the reason why that's so important is because we don't do anything in life unless we feel motivated. This is why we miss workouts. This is why we miss opportunities relationally with people. It's why we don't show up while we're not present because we don't feel emotionally the way we need to feel in order to take action. So if you want to change your habits, if you want to change your behavior, you've got to change how you feel The secret to changing how you feel is to take captive every thought because all it takes is one negative or neutral thought to hold you hostage. See, this is how people's lives get messed up. This is how people's lives get messed up. They allow one negative or a neutral thought. I don't think there's such a thing as a neutral thought. A thought's either moving you forward or holding you back. They allow that to take place on a daily basis. And most of our thoughts are of a negative, undermining, self-sabotaging nature. Most of them are, and they're at a subconscious level. Oh, she's gonna say no. They're gonna say no, they're not gonna hire me. I'm not gonna be able to get this. I'm not gonna be able to do that. And what happens is um, the nine out of 10 of those thoughts are a repeat every single day of the previous day's thoughts. All it takes is a negative thought in one area of life, those seven areas, relationships, health and fitness, finances, spiritual life, rest and recreation, education, your career. All it takes is one negative thought repeated every day for seven days and now you have a week that is far beneath your potential. You repeat that four times that week, now you've got a month, you're living far below your potential. You do that 12 times over the course of a year, now you've got an entire year wasted opportunity where you live beneath your potential. You do that year after year and you're gonna be looking back and saying, what just happened with my life? All because of one self sabotaging undermining thought that you allowed to, to continue day after day that my friend is exactly how we end up living beneath our potential so all it takes i say it this way is one negative thought repeated day after day to hold you hostage to kidnap you and there's no ransom that it asks for you cannot placate you cannot satisfy that negative thought It's just going to continue to go on and on and on. You have to uproot it. And if you deal with the root, then you take care of the fruit. That is the emotional state and the motivation. That is the result of the thinking. If you want to know what you're thinking, if you want the evidence of whether you have a life of gratitude or ingratitude, whether you're limiting yourself or not limiting yourself, look at your emotions. Don't ignore them. You ignore your emotions they will not go away they will come back with a vengeance and oftentimes depression is anger that's unresolved for example frustration that's unresolved if you want to know honestly what you have been thinking take an honest look at your emotions they are breadcrumbs they will lead you back to that loaf of bread they have to they're they're given to you they're given to me as a matter of how we're designed not as a nuisance Our emotions are not a nuisance. They are an accountability tool. Once you begin to see your emotions as an accountability tool, the evidence of what you're thinking, you can trace your emotional state back to the thought that triggered it, the thought that continues to reinforce it. And then you can get to work on the heart and mind work of changing that thought and replacing the negative naysaying, self-limiting, self-sabotaging, undermining thought. With what moves you forward does that make sense it's it's a a process of tracing it back
0: yeah absolutely and i think this just sort of comes back to a concept that i keep coming back to over the last couple of months here which is sort of like living a life of intentionality and having an internal locus of control it's tough like you say the one negative thought that takes over we adaptively have a negativity bias because you're always taught to look out for the one thing that could kill you it's great that uh there's four berry bushes over there but if there's a tiger in the berry bushes you only get one shot at that so we have this inbuilt negativity bias and combating that with active agentic participation in your own life seems to be the easiest way to take over that
1: 100 percent. you know you started your podcast because you have a passion to change people's lives, right? You have a passion to cause people to think deeply. And even I love it when we talked before actually going live, you said, hey, I wanna make sure that my podcast isn't the same podcast over and over again, just with different people. And I love that because variety is the spice of life and your passion, I mean, this is why I agreed to to do the podcast with you, your passion to give people quality and help them learn how to change their lives is really what it's all about. Because we're living in a day and an age where people think that what is how. Just because we talk about a problem doesn't mean we're trying to solve it. Just because we talk about a topic doesn't mean that you showed me anything, um, any any practical ways to change my life. And this happens in churches all the time. I'm a motivational speaker. Happens at motivational events all the time where we get a group of people together and we talk about what? Hey, this is really bad, this is really good, Ra, rah, rah, yeah, yeah, yeah. We feel like we're on the same page. All we're doing is eating cotton candy and it feels good at the time, I feel like cotton candy. You're eating candy apples, we're eating popcorn. I like to watch a movie when I'm eating popcorn. That's that's pretty much the way we, my wife and I invert it. We don't go to the movies, we have to have a big tub of popcorn and we'll go through a couple of tubs when we watch a movie, no kidding. And it feels great oftentimes when you're doing it, but afterward you're like, ah, what did I just do? And oftentimes this is what's happening. We're gathering together. We're talking about what? Giving ourselves a false and each other, a false sense of accomplishment as if we've really learned what the next steps in our lives need to be. And we have it. And I'm going to say this lovingly as, a, as a, someone who was involved in pastoral ministry for years. But it's true. And somebody needs to say it. The typical practical response to almost every sermon is to pray more, read the Bible and trust God. That is about an inch deep and a mile wide as it's possible to go. I'm all for doing all of those things. But if you don't learn how to use your mind, if you don't learn where your emotions come from in religious circles, emotions are bad, oh, bad. Don't trust your feelings. I say that you should trust your feelings because they're given to you by the architect. Your feelings are not happening in a void. They're there to tell you the truth of what you've been thinking. Trust your emotions. I'm not saying that you should be led by your emotions. Big difference, listen everybody. I'm not saying that you should be led by your emotions. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying that you should follow your emotions and you should trust them in most instances, unless you're dealing with a hormonal issue or a true psychological impairment or a chemical imbalance, you know, a little that kind of stuff, your emotions are honestly telling you the truth about your thought life. Most people are flabby in their minds. We talk about love handles and being you know, overweight, out of shape. That's one of the things that I think um, this idea of body shaming, right? And I totally get it, that we should not shame people for the shape of their body. However, at the same time, to think that somebody who is obese and completely out of shape is a healthy person, not only in their physical, their physiology, but in their mindset, that's absolutely that's absolutely not true. That's a person who has limited themselves and has, actually a view of themselves that is far less than what is possible. So we're not helping anybody by saying, hey, anything goes, you can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do, but it's not necessarily healthy. It's not necessarily going to move you forward. So we don't ignore our emotions. We pay attention to them and we get our minds in shape the same way we work on getting our physical bodies in shape. You've got to work on mastering your mindset and learning how that Irreplaceable mind of yours actually functions. Most people, Blake, have no clue. Nobody's training us and how to actually get our mind and our thoughts in, in the direction, moving in the direction of our dreams and what we want to accomplish in life. But once you learn how to do that, once you develop mental mastery, it takes practice just like developing muscle. Once you have a fit mind, the sky is the limit.
0: What's your framework for improving mindset? You're patient zero. So you've done all of this work with yourself. What's your framework for improving? Well, for mindset?
1: me, you know, as I said, I, I asked God to take my life three times and I came to the, the bottom of the barrel, the end of my rope, and I started recognizing the stinking thinking that was going on in my life and the emotions that were created as a result of that thinking. So for about three months, I tried really hard to pay attention to my thoughts, pay attention to the script, the self-talk that I was saying to myself, was blown away at how negative it was. Kept persisting up to about the six month mark and was ready to give in. I began to realize it's like taking the lid off of a cesspool, we just closed on a house and it has a um, septic tank. Gotta take the cover off of that thing to take the nasty look at what's going on. The odors and what's under there from the people who lived before, it's just like nasty, right? Well, we take the lid off of our lives and look at what's actually going on with our thinking. And I was overwhelmed with the self-talk and the subconscious automatic talk that was just going on in my life. It took me 18 months, Blake. 18 months of persistent training, persistent training, persistent training to recognize, to be on the lookout for thinking thinking, to recognize a negative thought and to replace it with the exact opposite. Once I did that, I got onto the other side. And for those of you listening, you actually can come to a point in your life through persistent training of your mind to get to that point where you can say, I recognize this self-talk that's, not, that's no longer something that I embrace, it's no longer something that I'm generating, it's almost as if it's hard to describe. You recognize it coming, it's on the outside of your mind trying to gain its way into the inside where it dominates you and you can reject it. Remember, you cannot focus on a negative thought and a positive thought, gratitude and ingratitude at the same time, you get to decide which it is and you have to train yourself. Listen, pay attention everybody, it's really important. If you went to the gym, let's say you said, I'm gonna get fit, I'm going to develop muscle, I'm gonna develop develop cardiovascularly, I'm gonna get really fit and healthy. And you went to the gym three or four times for a week straight. And you said, you know what? I'm not seeing much of a result here. This idea of gaining muscle, my biceps look the same, I'm not making any progress that's significant in terms of being on that treadmill and my heart rate, and my, my lung capacity. This is for the birds, this stuff doesn't work. Anybody, I can see you smiling right now, anybody would say, what are you, crazy? Consistency is really important in physical exercise. Your muscles will eventually respond. Your ligaments will eventually respond. Your cardiovascular system will eventually respond, but you have to be consistent. It's no different with our minds. It's no different with our minds. The only thing that's different is nobody is thinking about training your mind. Nobody is. It's the most undertrained, underdeveloped, and yet most mission critical component in the entirety of our lives. You will not rise above your level of thinking. However, Once you change your thinking, you'll move forward like never before. So it begins with recognizing the self-talk, the self-sabotaging self-talk that we have allowed to take place in our minds. And then insisting and persisting. I'm not going to allow that to happen. And you make a commitment. Every time the negative thought, and it can be in any one of those seven areas of life, relationships, health and fitness, spiritual life finances, career, education, rest, and recreation. Anytime that self sabotaging self-talk raises its head, you slay it by replacing it with the exact opposite. The exact opposite thought. And you say it out loud with passion and with emotion because your ears are picking up what your mouth is laying down. Your subconscious mind is picking that up. It's a sponge. And you need to rewrite that script the way you do it is by being intentional. You, you take the negative self-sabotaging thought, you replace it with the exact opposite. You say it out loud with passion and conviction. You use that mind of yours to focus on what would be good, pure, excellent, praiseworthy. And you focus your mind intently on that. And through persistence, you don't give up like going to the gym three or four times. It took me 18 months. I was in pastoral ministry for 20 years and always hearing people's negativity, always solving people's problems, just weighed me down and weighed me down. Listen, if I could do it, everybody, you can do it. And once I got to the other side and I realized, oh, my gosh, there's an entirely new life. This is what I mean when I say I asked God to take my life, and he did. He gave me an entirely new one based on my thinking. Once I realized that an entirely new life was possible, I had to tell the world how to do it. And so whatever you're facing in life, whatever you're feeling emotionally, it's a reflection of your thought life. There is hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a train. You can change your thinking. You can change your emotions through intentionality. You would never give up by going to the gym three or four times because you didn't see muscular results. You didn't see cardiovascular results. Don't give up on training your mind. It is the most flabby, underdeveloped part of who we are. And it is the most mission critical. You can do it. You must do it. That's how you move forward. That's how you achieve success in your life in any area in every area of life.
0: Yeah. And a statistic just to drive that one home for people, um, about 85% of what we worry about never happens. And they've determined that, uh, of the remaining, 15%, 15%, about 79% of it, uh, people found out that they could actually handle it a lot more easier than they thought they could, which equates to about 97% of all the things that you worry about not mattering at all. So when you allow those sort of negative thoughts to pop into your head, you're allowing your life to be uh, changed by things that don't matter in 97% of cases. So.
1: Input, And that's just evidence of how stinky thinking, thinking, right? Everything that we achieve in life, apart from the architect's input, right? But I'm not talking about his part. He's always gonna do his part. We have to do our part, and oftentimes we're not showing up. Everything that we experience in life, humanly speaking, is a byproduct of what we're thinking. It all begins in our minds. And once you realize that, not only is that amazing, once you realize that you actually have a say in what you're thinking, much more than you've given yourself credit for, The what is, hey, well, we need to take captive every thought. Hey, yeah, that's right. We need to do it. Well, show me how to do it because otherwise we walk away and we say, yeah, but we need to do it. But if you don't know how to do it, you're lost. So I just gave a a practical tip about that and you gave the evidence of how pervasive negative self-sabotaging thinking is. It's the autopilot of life, but we need to take the wheel back and not allow that autopilot to continue.
0: What's the best part about working with your wife?
1: There's no negative part of working with my life, my wife. No, no negative part at all. My wife is the greatest enhancement to my life that I could possibly imagine. She is the opposite of me. And when we were first married, I did not see that as an advantage because I tend to be a visionary and visionaries have blind sides that they don't pay attention to when you're younger. And you need people around you who see those blind sides and compliment them. So the best part of working with my wife is that she is a thinker. She is honest and transparent. She will tell me what she likes, what she doesn't like. She will slow things down to where I really have to think through processes. And she's an excellent writer. She's my editor in chief. Anything that I write, she gets to see uh, before we go live with it, before we publish it. Um, she's got a great sense of humor. She's tremendously supportive and loving and affectionate and loyal. My wife is unbelievably loyal. So I, I couldn't have asked for a better one. She's fantastic.
0: How much we touched on it a little bit earlier, but how much is, uh, a relationship an antidote to part of this negative self-talk?
1: It can be a disaster. A relationship can actually be a disaster if the other person isn't committed to their personal development. So maybe you're listening and you're not in a relationship or maybe you're in a relationship. The other person, as well as you, you need to make sure you're not doing a disservice to the other person. The other person has to be committed to their own personal development more than anything else that's not a selfish thing in fact i think that personal development is the highest form of worship because when you make something of your life that's the offering that you get to give back to the creator and now you might be an atheist you might be an agnostic again i'll never hold that against you but in the same way we can find common ground here personal development is something you owe to yourself if not your creator the architect So a relationship can be an absolute disaster if one of those people is not committed to their highest personal development. And this is one of the things I love about my wife. We've instilled this in our boys as well. She's committed to the the fullest development of who she is, mind, body, spirit, from the inside out, outside in, constantly looking to develop. If you have two people and one of them is highly committed to their personal development, the other one isn't. Now we're all in different places in our journey. But the other one not only isn't, but is not committed to growing and developing. That relationship is not going to reach its greatest level. A relationship that works, you know, to what degree is a relationship important? As you, as you asked, I think you phrased it this way, to your success journey, right? It's very important if those two people are on the same page, because you, you're not always emotionally at the same place, you you know, we're all imperfect. We all need to be be reminded, right? So if the two of you are on the same page philosophically and you're committed to personal development, then iron sharpens iron and you inspire each other to reach your potential. That's when a relationship is fantastic and becomes really a tremendous asset to your own personal development. But if you're thinking about getting into a serious relationship, If you're in a serious relationship and you're not sure where that other person is in terms of their personal commitment, or maybe that person is more committed than you are, it's time for you to sit down and have a conversation and get on the same page because the weakest link principle is true. Listen, you could have a a chain, right? Metal chain, you can go to Home Depot, Lowe's, I'm not endorsing them, but you go there and you could get uh, some chain that could have a 1,000 or 2,000 pound capacity. But let's say there is a hairline fracture in just one link in that chain. And maybe you wouldn't be able to see it unless you put it under an X-ray. That chain that is rated for 1,000 pounds or 2,000 pounds will only hold the amount of weight that that one link is capable of holding. And all it takes is a fracture in one link to make that entire chain weaker. It's the same thing with a relationship. When you get two people who are on the same page, when it comes to personal development, that couple begins to be a no limit couple. When you have one person knowingly or unknowingly, who's not committed to their own personal development, that relationship will not go nearly as far as it otherwise would. So you need to make sure that you're not the weak link. You need to make sure the other person's not the weak link. And if you realize that either one of you is, or maybe both of you are, you've got to sit down and you've got to ask some tough questions about, hey, I'm only here for a short time. Do I really want to live a no limit life or am I fooling myself? And is it really, isn't it really a disservice to you if I'm not giving myself the best that I can, the architect the best that he deserves and you the best that you deserve? If we're not doing that, I mean, it sounds crazy when you really, when you really talk about this, right? if you're not committed to your personal development then what are you committed to what are you wasting time and and money and energy on makes no sense at all
0: how do you go about finding those hairline fractures whether it's in a relationship or just generally in your everyday life
1: you have to evaluate you have to do it consistently i sat down with howard Hendricks years ago famous author professor at dallas theological seminary and I said, hey, what's the difference between great speaking and good speaking? Because at that particular time, I was developing as a communicator, speaker, and he didn't even bat an eye He said, the difference between great speaking and good speaking is evaluation. Experience, this is what he said, experience won't make you better at anything in life. Only evaluated experience will make you better. mind blown. Life-changing statement. Simple, but yet significant. It's evaluating, weekly evaluation. Continually making sure that you're honest with yourself. Listen, we all hate it when somebody's dishonest with us. I mean, when was the last time you chose to make a friendship, to develop a friendship with a dishonest, disloyal, deceptive person? We run from those people when we find out. Unless we have a really low self-image and we allow ourselves to be abused and taken advantage of. We run away from people who aren't, authentic and honest and transparent. But we tolerate lack of authenticity, um, inaccurate perceptions of ourselves. We deceive ourselves into failure all the time. Living below our potential, beneath our potential, all the time for one reason and one reason only. We don't take an honest evaluation of where we are regularly. So weekly self analysis, self evaluation. It's essential in life It's one of the reasons why you know we created something called the motivation journal. I think you've heard about that. And in that is not only two pages a day to be able to do affirmations and gratitude, things of that sort, but every week there's weekly evaluation where you're looking at your mindset, you're looking at your emotions, you're looking at the, the number one most significant lesson that you've learned that week so that you can evaluate because experience will not make you better at anything in life. People think that time makes you wiser, it doesn't. Evaluation, when you meet somebody who's young like you, you do a lot of evaluation. You're a young guy, great podcast, asking great questions, having great guests on your program. You spend a lot of time evaluating and that's what makes you better and better and better so evaluation is a key to
0: transformation how does the what are some of the practical ways that the new journal helps with that
1: well one it's an accountability tool we have videos that come with it and everything uh, it's on amazon motivation journal M-O-D-I-V-A-T-I-O-N. it's spelled with a d because it's a modification of your mind emotions and momentum so the wordplay is intentional um you have the daily format. Like it's one thing to say, hey, you need to change your thinking, but you need to have a means to do that. You need to have a tool to be able to do that. So we provide videos for that. You can get texts from me throughout your week that encourage you, just short texts that encourage you to be accountable and coach you, mentor you in that regard. So you have the daily tool and then you have the weekly evaluation. There's a quote for every single day that helps you focus on paying attention to your emotions, paying attention to your mind and your thought life, paying attention to your habits, and not in a negative way. I think so much, I don't even like the word accountability, Blake. I don't, that might be like, that doesn't make any sense based on everything we're saying. Well, the reason why is because most accountability, quote unquote, is of a negative nature. It's basically just catching what people are doing wrong, your, your shortcomings, your failures. I think we need to inspire people by catching them doing what's right. And that's what the motivation journal does. It, it has you so focused on what's, what to do right in your life on a daily basis with quotes and with just guided um, journaling space to process your thoughts, your prayers, your your um, events of the day that you don't have time for the negativity. You don't have time for what holds you back. So. I think fundamentally accountability needs to be inspiring and needs to be positive. And that's why we, my wife and I created the journal because I needed it in my own life, right? I needed it in my own life because I wanted to get really serious about personal development. And because it works so well, it's based on neuroscience of how the mind and the emotions work. We said, you know what? We need to give this to other people. We need to help other people with it as well. So it's designed from the ground up. From neuroscience from the inside out
0: ground up I am so happy and thankful now that why is that format important
1: that's the format that I give people when I mentor them for that that's the template for a positive affirmation I am so happy and thankful now that first of all it's an I am statement which nothing mystical or mysterious about that it's it's in the present tense I am not I will like the worst thing you can do with affirmations is to say, I'm going to like, for example, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I'm going to be married to so and so I'm going to be in shape. I'm going to become a millionaire. Because when does that actually happen? If it's in the future, your subconscious mind keeps it at the future in the future all the time. So you trick your mind. People might say, well, wait a second, that sounds like, sounds like psychology. Listen, so you've already been using psychology. You already have. And it's been of a negative, undermining, self sabotaging nature. All I'm saying is trick your mind that's been tricking you. So when you say, I am, you're bringing it into the present present tense. It's not in the future. It's not delayed. It's, it's right now. But that sounds like it's dishonest because it's not yet. Well, why is it honest to say it's something of a negative nature, like you were talking about it's 97% why is it more honorable to embrace those negative thoughts that aren't true either right make a decision to be positive i am and that drives it into your subconscious mind when you say it out loud when you envision it use your imagination in a great way because worry is spending time energy and imagination on a reality that does not exist that's what worry is so instead of Spending time, energy, and imagination on a negative reality that doesn't exist. Use it for a positive reality that doesn't exist, but you're bringing into reality right now, if that makes sense. So I am, present tense. So happy and thankful. Gratitude and the emotion. You start with the emotion that you want. I'm so happy and thankful, because if you haven't realized it, if you're discouraged or depressed, and you put a smile on your face, and you're discouraged and depressed, Your subconscious mind has to make a decision. Hey, that's the look that Blake has on his face when he's happy. But uh, Blake's feeling discouraged. You now force your mind to make a decision. Are you gonna be happy and go in that direction? Or are you gonna continue in that negative, discouraged state? And you insist and you persist with a smile on your face. You're saying it out loud. You're using overwhelming force. I am, present tense, so happy and thankful with a smile on your face, facial expression that supports what you're saying now that again you're reinforcing the current nature of it now that and then you can finish that statement with whatever reality you want to be reality and you're bringing it into the present tense getting your emotions involved don't let your emotions sit on the sidelines and be spectators in your own life get them involved in what's happening in your life and it also works in the reverse direction when you get your emotions on the direction where you want to, the way you want to feel, it affects your thinking as well. So your thinking affects your emotions, your emotions also affect your thinking. So that's the template that I use when I'm mentoring somebody, do one-on-one mindset mentoring. I am so happy and thankful now that, and you fill, fill in the blank with the rest of that statement. Now that money, friends, and influence come to me in increasing amounts on a continuous basis from a variety of sources. That would be an example. I'm so happy and thankful now that my wife and I have a great relationship. You might say, well, my wife and I don't have a great relationship. Well, introduce an affirmation that says you do have a great relationship. Your subconscious mind will get on board over time. You have to insist and persist. I'm so happy and thankful now that my wife and I have a great relationship. We listen to each other. We encourage each other. We laugh and we have great times together. So if you're having the exact opposite experience, introduce an affirmation in the area of pain that you have. I'm so happy and thankful. Now that I have an abundanza, an abundance of money, not because money itself is important, but because the lack of money leads to a lot of difficulty and hardship. So would you rather have your problems, as Robert Kiyosaki says, that that, uh, rich people have or poor people have? I'd rather have the problems that rich people have because you're going to have problems no matter what See, most people are not really thinking this through. And you got to be careful you're not taking your financial advice from somebody who doesn't manage their money well doesn't have money people say well money doesn't matter. Typically the people who say that money doesn't matter don't have money. So why would you listen to that person. Why would you listen to that person. It's crazy we do it all the time we do it all the time. Money does matter because if you try living your life without money. Your life's a lot, a lot more difficult. So I'm so happy and thankful now that, and then you, you finish the statement and you introduce that positive affirmation in the area of your life where there is pain. Wherever there is pain, difficulty, hardship, maybe you have a, a health issue, maybe you have a financial issue, maybe you have an issue where you're stressed and anxious, you work when you're supposed to be playing, you play when you're supposed to be working, you need some downtime, you need some decompression time. You introduce that affirmation in that format in whatever area that you're struggling in and you insist and you persist, you write it down, you say it out loud. And I have people saying these things out loud. I just was talking to a a couple last week where their assignment over the next seven days was to say a particular affirmation 100 times every single day. Because your mind can't focus on a negative thought, a positive thought. And you, you, at the same time, and people might be listening right now and saying, a of times a day, it's a lot of work. Listen, you're having thousands of negative thoughts that you're just not paying attention to. And they've been holding you back and setting you back and undermining you and sabotaging your life all day long. You owe it to yourself. Surely you can say something over and over again a hundred times a day. You'd do it if you knew that it would change your life, and it absolutely will. And it's not just a repetition of it. It's saying it and vividly imagining it as already true, making sure that your mind is showing up, making sure you're saying with a facial expression and a posture that supports it. When you walk in a posture that's hunched over, your mind says, well, that's a posture of depression, discouragement, defeat. I must be depressed, I must be discouraged, I must be defeated. But when you use the physiology of standing in an upright position, a position of victory, a position of confidence, that sends a message to your subconscious mind as well. That's a position of confidence, victory not defeat and discouragement at all so you can change your emotional state you can change your thinking by changing your posture as well so you use a facial expression you use posture that supports it. you say it out loud with passion and emotion you use your imagination vividly and you do it through repetition you insist and you persist you insist and you persist because you got to get serious about this mindset thing because your mind is the weak link in your life's success your mind is the weak link you need to make it that firm foundation through repetition and through insistence, and you can do it.
0: Perfect. I'm going to uh, end on one final question here. This is something that I've been meaning to fold into the podcast uh, and this idea of, I've had for a bit here. And I really like this concept because I think it helps to focus people on being more in the, the realm of what we've been talking about today, uh, free thinking or thinking for themselves, having that internal locus of control. So my question to you is what's the last thing that you changed your mind about? And it could be something as simple as you have a new favorite ice cream flavor or you've got a new take on the housing market or anything in between.
1: What a great question. The last thing that I changed my mind about Great, great question. There have been several things that have been epiphanies for me. I would say the exchange of a poverty mindset for one of prosperity, and I'm not using, that's such a buzzword, prosperity. And people's minds can go in a variety of places negativity, and thinking that it's greed. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. But the idea of a prosperity mindset that I believe that I am designed to succeed, grow, and expand. Now, we're living in a very polarized time in history, a very polarized society where people disagree, they can't find common ground. I'm going to show you If you're listening right now, I'm going to show you how an atheist and a Christian creationist can actually be on the same page. Now, if I could could do that, that'd be pretty significant. Don't you think so? An atheist and a Christian creationist. If you're an atheist, you have to make up your mind of why you're here and that you are here to succeed. If you stop and think about it you believe, let's say an atheist evolutionist and a Christian creationist, you believe that you evolved from an amoeba-like substance from primordial ooze into what the human race is today. Now, if we could somehow take your ancestor of ancestors from millennia ago and give them a glimpse of what their descendants would be like in the future, you, that primordial ooze would be absolutely blown away and could come to no other conclusion than the evolutionary process is designed or happens to to make us succeed, grow, and expand. You could not come to any other conclusion because look at the marvel that you are today compared to what you came from, right? From a Christian perspective, God says it's good, which means it can't be improved upon. Created to succeed, grow and expand, fill the earth and subdue it. Scripture says elsewhere, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. So from a biblical perspective, we are created to succeed, to grow and to expand. From an atheist evolutionary perspective, you have to come to the same conclusion. And with that is the idea of prosperity. Notice I didn't say money, because prosperity is a mindset. When I am prosperous, I can be a greater blessing to other people. I can spread encouragement. I can lift other people up. I can help them take the limit off of their lives. I can help them replace stinking thinking. But when I'm in a poverty state, I have to spend so much time taking care of the basics of who I am wondering and worrying about where my next dollar is going to come from where the next provision is going to come from wondering how i'm going to make ends meet i have to spend so much time and energy just on surviving that i can't get to the point of thriving and so that issue right there blake that i am designed to be prosperous so that i can be a blessing is i think the most significant the number one of the several things that have been most recent for me, the thing that I'm most amazed about, because I live the majority of my life recovering from a poverty mindset, because we we have to, we have this idea in Christian circles that I'm going to surrender to God. And that idea is often associated with what I'm giving up. But, you know, when I married my wife, when I took the plunge and surrendered to marry my wife, I didn't just get her physical beauty. I got her emotional expressions. I got her mind and her intellect. I got her personality. I got everything that comes with Janet. I got the full package. And when we surrender to the creator, it's not what I give up. I get everything at the creator's disposal. I get everything that he comes with, right? That's a totally different perspective to not have a prosperity mindset. When you look at it that way is to sell yourself short, to sell the architect short and to start living a, a life that's filled with limitations, self-imposed limits. Cause there's only two limits we put in, in our life, only two limiting factors. Those put on us by the creator, I believe, and those we put on ourselves. And so only those who risk going too far will find out how far they can really go to come full circle with the master of masters in inspirational speaking, Zig Ziglar, right? So that's the biggest lesson that I've learned. I've exchanged the poverty mentality, mentality of lack and um, false piety, thinking that I'm trusting God for all of my provision. Well, if that's the case, then why are you so filled with Um, a poverty approach to life that you're always lacking. So hopefully that's encouraging to you as you're listening as well, that really you've got to make up your mind about whether or not you're created or evolved to be a massive success. I've shown that you, you are, whether you're an atheist, evolutionist, or a Christian creationist. If you make up your mind, if you come, if you land squarely on this idea that you are created or you evolve into being a success, that shapes and changes everything about how you do business with the business of your thinking and your life.
0: Perfect, Mike. I love it. If uh, people want to get a hold of you, find all your stuff, find the book, find the journal, where can we send them?
1: Couragematters.com. Couragematters.com. And uh, that'll hook you up with everything.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you coming on the show. It's great chat.
1: Blake, it's an honor. Great to have a conversation with you. God bless you, everybody. Keep looking up. No place else worth looking. Keep moving forward.